0: You're listening to Always Player One, a solo board gaming podcast. Hello, and welcome to Always Player One. I'm Scruffy. And I'm Norm, and today we're going to be talking about the soloable role playing game Scarlet Heroes. Scarlet Heroes was voted for by our patrons as the next solo role-playing game we should cover. And that poll was open for a very long time, so this is really, (laughs) really overdue. So thank you to our patrons for voting on this. And uh, if you want to contribute to the the polls that we have going on over on Patreon, then uh, you can sign up. The links are in the description. We're also joined today by Deborah from Geek Gamers. Deborah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. No problem, the pleasure is all ours. Um, if we can hold Fire Deborah for a moment though, before we go any further, we'd like to tell those of you who haven't played Scarlet Heroes a little bit about what it's about. So Scruffy, take it away. What is Scarlet Heroes? Okay, so Scarlet
1: Heroes is a RPG system which has three different soloable modes. Uh, It is fairly old school in the style. Anyone familiar with Dungeons & Dragons and other games like that will be familiar with a lot of the systems. For anything you you try and do as your hero, you'll roll a check with different dice. Sometimes you'll roll a d20, particularly in combat. For other checks, you might be rolling 2d8s. And you're attempting usually to beat a difficulty score which the game will provide for you. The game also has a number of oracles and different tables to help you get creative. And as I mentioned just now, three different solo modes. So you have urban adventures, wilderness adventures, and dungeon adventures.
0: That's right. And depending on which one you, you pick, they will have different parameters for your own scenario, which you can be played as a one-shot or as a campaign, as the game has quite a cool leveling-up system for your character. But I think that's a pretty pretty fair overview of, of Scarlet Heroes. If you haven't played we'll obviously look to unpack it more throughout the game. But uh, without any further ado, let's let's go ahead and bring on our special guest. So Deborah, we always ask the same question to all of our guests as the first question. So we're gonna do the same for you if that's okay. Absolutely. Okay, so for our listeners who may not be aware of who you are, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? How did you get into the hobby? What kind of games do you enjoy now? And what are you most known for in the hobby?
2: Well, I first of all, thank you guys for inviting me on to talk about Scarlet Heroes, which is a wonderful system for solo RPGing. And I'll answer your questions, I think, semi in reverse order, which is to say, I think at this point, I'm most known in the hobby for my channel Geek Gamers and the solo RPG work that I do on that channel. I do a combination of demos of various systems, but also a lot of explanation about how I come up with the stories that I demo and how I approach different rule sets. And a lot of my videos are what I would sort of think of as teaching videos in terms of general concepts about storytelling and narrative and developing theme and all these kinds of things within the solo RPG space. I've become known for that, though the channel itself also has board game videos and originally started actually doing war games for the most part when I started the channel five years ago. And in the real world, I am a nonfiction book editor and I've spent my career as a book editor in book publishing. I also have a PhD in Victorian literature and am pretty sure that I've never earned a dime in the world as an adult without it being related to books or writing.
0: Nice.
1: Yeah, well, uh, your videos, for some context here for, for how we found you were some of the first videos I encountered before we recorded our Ironsworn episode, our first solo RP episode for the podcast, Uh, your videos were really, really very helpful in sort of helping answer that question I had of, but how, what, what is this new world? How (laughs) do I even do this? What is a solo RP adventure? How could you possibly have a solo RP adventure?
2: That is that is the common question. And um, I think the next question after that is, okay, I'm doing this. Well, how do I keep doing it? Because a lot of times you sit down and start maybe with a character and do something for like 10 minutes, and then you don't really know where to go next. So yeah. I think those are really common questions. And I'm glad to hear about Ironsworn because that's a, an amazing system. I've done a bunch of videos on Ironsworn, in fact, and I love it. I think it's extremely useful to the hobby as a whole of solo RPGing because of the support it offers and the imagination that it allows.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I, it, it might well have even been your recommendation that got me to try it out, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Good to hear so, Thank you a million for that because uh, anyone who's familiar with the podcast will know that me and Norm are both massive Ironsworn fans. We both tried out Starforged as well. The uh, upcoming oh, you have I'm
2: really interested in that. I have not gotten my hands on it yet, but I'm excited.
1: It's, it's even better than Ironsworn. <laughs> uh, but today we're not we're on Scarlet Heroes. Uh, we could <laughs> we could easily get sidetracked into talking about Ironsworn. Yeah, don't get us tired. <laughs> yeah, so 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 on that uh, and on the form of how to solo RP for anyone listening who's kind of also in the same boat, maybe starting for the first time. I'd love to talk about how you solo RP, Deborah, and the the different ways you do it, the the specific performative actions you take. So, for example, I noticed in your Scarlet Heroes solo video that you switched from writing down the story at the very start of the urban adventure and doing a a bit of backstory, you had a nice uh, sped-up, handwritten uh, section there yeah. and you continued your adventure just talking it all out almost like a presentation for the video perhaps and I'm wondering if you ever do that in your own solo rp or if that was just for the youtube video and for the uh, the listener to hear your story coming across in that way how, how do you usually like to play or does it vary
2: well that's a great question and I re-watched the or re-listened to and re-watched the video when you guys invited me to this Podcast, and I typically don't watch my videos, I'll say. I think that I do a combination when playing by myself. It is different. And at this point, quite frankly, most of the play that I do is for the channel at this point, because as you know, making a podcast, and the same is true of videos it is many, many hours behind the scenes for, you know, every half an hour of video that you see. And I don't have a lot of, I have a full-time job, I have a family, you know, I, I don't have a lot of free time to sit down and play. And when I do sit down and play, a lot of it is really channel related, reading new rule books, just maybe trying out a little scenario or not even a scenario, but I'll quickly get a character and try to see what an encounter would look like. But to be frank, some of that is related to the channel and, and how I'm going to present something on a video because the videos that I do, while organic in the sense of the story is developing naturally, I'm not doing rolls off camera, I'm not pre-planning anything that doesn't look pre-planned, but I am very intentional about what I try to show in a video and meld that to the rule set. And in that particular, to get back to Scarlet Heroes, what was interesting about that was as I showed that little figurine I had, which I might've been from Warhammer Quest, I can't really remember. I don't have a lot of minis, so I pull things from my board games. I really developed that story and it turned into something else thematically through the random tables that came from Scarlet Heroes. And I think that that Because of that, it just went off in my mind in a different direction and it was easier for me to just talk it through Mm. and come close to an aspect of playing. If I was off camera playing, it would be much more what you saw at the end of the video after I stopped writing. I do not tend to write things down for myself at all. It's not the way that I play. I do and have done that for videos because I think it's helpful for the viewer,
0: Okay. There's a couple of things that I really want to unpack on the back of that. You brought up a, a lot of really interesting stuff, namely, obviously, the different different ways you can solo RP, and I think it's very personal. For example, I like to write everything down, and, and I try really hard to put it into bullet points to keep it, you know, spiffy and quick, and I just keep falling into the old habit of <laughs> describing it as almost I'm writing a, a full story. I just I can't break the habit. I guess that's how that's how I play. But one of the things that I'm I'm quite interested in, and you mentioned where your your own adventure went with Scarlet Heroes in your video. You said in the video that it, it ended up being almost like a like a steampunky type adventure. One thing I wanted to make very clear is Scarlet Heroes has quite a small r- rule book, but the scope of this game is really enormous. The type of random tables it has such a broad scope, and I was, I was just wondering if we could unpack that I suppose there's not really a question in that but I was just wondering if we could as a group maybe unpack the scope of Scarlet Heroes. Well I think
2: you're you're totally right about that and I think what is great about these random tables because let's face it a lot of a lot of rule sets have random tables and I think these days there are even more and more and I'd be interested to know what you guys think about this being interested in solo RPGing but it seems now there's more and more either gestures toward the soloist or even actual baked in solo material. But I think what Kevin Crawford has done so well is to use these random tables and present them so effectively. So even the quick character generation that he's got, and then the relationship tables, I think he calls them relationship tables for the characters and the NPCs. It's so Evocative, if you roll on those tables, it really can create for you a whole adventure. And for this podcast, just to see what would happen, I sat down last night and I didn't spend a lot of time, but I wanted to see how long it would take me to get just an overall structure of something that I could play using Scarlet Heroes. And it took me six minutes. It took me six minutes of rolling on some of the tables in the back. And then I decided to create two characters, and it took me five minutes to just get the basic stats. Now, you would then spend more time outfitting your characters and thinking about them. But really, I think within a 20-minute time frame, you could get very, very far. And as you say, you're totally right. The, the range of options, the urban, the wilderness, the dungeon, and also the various flavors that he has for the adventure tags, it's, it's incredibly broad.
1: Mm. Yeah, it is. And it also gives you an immediate way to play, like having those three different setups, I did the exact same thing as you actually. Today, I I decided I'm going to see how quickly before the episode, I can speed run a little adventure and how far I can get within a really short space of time. And you're right, making a character with quick character creation was minimal time. And this is even for someone who's pretty new to the system in in me. And, And then I started with an urban adventure. So that already kind of narrowed the scope really well and gave me a a specific sort of playbook to play from and, uh, and a structure to play with because they are very distinct structures the way the different the three different things work and I think this kind of ties in really interestingly to in your video easy ways to be your own GM you talk about four different resources that the player needs in order to form a solo RP I'd love to go over those with you kind of now and, and use those to, to frame our discussion.
2: Yes, that uh, Easy Ways to Be Your Own GM, that was one of the earlier solo RPG videos I posted. It's been my most popular video on the channel since I posted it. And I think part of the reason is because I am presenting just a broad way of thinking about it by categorizing these resources. And within them, there's a lot of flexibility. And, and the, the bottom line is that it means, as, as you guys have said, and as we know, there's not really one way to do solo RPG. Mm. So I think if you think about these broad categories, it can be helpful to piece together what you want to do. So the categories were, there were generative resources, and I defined those as essentially. Some of the things we're talking about right now with Scarlet Heroes, the random tables, and you can get that obviously in on websites and whatever, but for the purposes of Scarlet Heroes, there's plenty of them in here. So I call that generative because those are giving you words or phrases or ideas that are going to generate or help you generate a story. So that was the first type of resource I talked about. Then I talked about suggestive resources and... My, what I mean by that are things that are slightly more direction-oriented. And my example for players new to this world is to go to their board games for suggestive resources, to open up. You know, you've got a ton. If you say you play D- tons of Dungeons & Crawls, you've got maps and cards and NPCs and all this stuff in a box that you might not think of as relating to RPGing, but you could pull that out and a treasure card and equipment, whatever.
1: I saw you used uh, Mage Knight cards.
2: Sure, Mage Knight, yes. I used Mage Knight cards probably in that video. haven't watched that video in a while, but yes. Um, <laughs> but really, so many things. If you Once you start to think about it that way, you, it's like everybody's got a closet full of RPG resources, if they think in those terms, if they're a gamer, which I'm going to assume that they do play some board games, say. Mm-hmm. So that was the the second one. And then I talked about restrictive resources, and this is the one I've got a lot of questions about on the channel because it seems counterintuitive. What I mean by that are oracles. And we have a great oracle here, a couple oracle tables here in Scarlet Heroes. These are the resources where you go to get a sort of direction after you ask an open-ended question. And the reason that I call them restrictive as opposed to open-ended is because I'm focusing on the outcome and the outcome is something that is restrictive that's why you go to the oracle to get some kind of direction in the case of scarlet heroes we have you know the basic yes no but and the likelihood factor and then it gives you you know you're rolling a d20 and you're getting some direction so is the wizard going to find this yes but whatever Mm. but that is putting a restriction on your session and then the last thing I talked about was what I called the rubric and the rubric are the rules and whatever rule set you use. And I think one thing that I want to point out is that I listed that last because on some level I feel, and I have always felt that the selection of the rule set can come last in a way that, you know, and in the case of Scarlet Heroes, that the application of that would mean to go to the back and just use the generation to create some type of adventure. And you could either use Scarlet Heroes or not. But if you're outside of the scope of Scarlet Heroes to just step there for a minute, what it means is that you can think about all of these other things. I say, I want to do something sci-fi. Well, I'm going to go to my sci-fi board game and pull some stuff out. Let me start to go to a random sci-fi table and put this together. You can do all of that and get the beginning of a story and then go back and say, "All right, how am I going to play this out? What mechanics am I going to to use to play the story out?"
0: That's, That's really interesting. so interesting. yeah
1: Wow. I think a lot of people use the rule book, and uh, you know a lot of rule books are designed to give you an established world in some ways, aren't they? But I've never thought of approaching a game in that way, of, of taking the theme you want and then applying a set of rules to it. Like I mean, Scarlet Heroes does invite that, doesn't it?
2: I think it does. And I think it's possible to do that. Now, obviously that's just one way of doing it. And certainly on my channel, I do actually have some videos where I develop whole stories with no rule book, but on my channel, I'm focusing on Scarlet Heroes or other rule sets to show that. But I do think in terms of thinking of yourself as a solo GM and what that really means and the mindset of a solo GM, realizing that you have that flexibility is big because it's generative it helps you focus on the narrative now of course you're not going to i don't think you're not going to gm a you know a regular tabletop game one night and show up and be like now this is now let's decide after we do this whole adventure what rules we're using like it's yeah. not going you're not going to do that but i think that's where the being a solo gm or having the solo gm mindset as i call it is different it's related to but it's different than being just what i would consider to say call a tabletop gm
0: yeah, that's very interesting. One one thing that I learned from solo role playing, I feel like solo role playing has taught me more about role playing than any other tabletop role playing experience that I've done before. And I think one of the reasons being is because when you remove a GM, you start to realize, okay, well, what were they even there for? You know, where are the gaps? What can't I generate as a player? And what what is how is the game trying to uh, compensate for that in some ways? And yeah, I, I don't, it's related to what you're saying there, Deborah, but, but in some ways entirely different. I feel like solo role playing has made me so much more of a better GM because I really understand my preferences for role playing much more now in the few months that I've been solo role playing than I did in the many years role playing as a group. I never really thought about my preferences on on how something should be ran until I remove the GM entirely and you start to think okay well where is the input needed and at what point and yeah for me solo role-playing has really helped me find exactly what I like in my games and it's really helped me and enabled me to become a I think, a better GM. Uh, well, Scruffy's in my Blades of the Dark campaign, so I'll let him have the final say on that one. But, <laughs> but for me, yeah, it's really, it's really helped me. I don't know what you think about that, Scruffy.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think... There is such a massive scope for how you can interact with a solo RPG and everything's valid. Everything's totally OK. You know, it's what you enjoy, isn't it? I see people playing, for example, games like Scarlet Heroes and they are very mechanically focused. They're very minded on the rolling the dice and, and, and it, it, it boils down to that for them. I see them playing other systems like that as well. And people exalting other systems saying this is great because the dice work in this specific way. And that means that damage is a lot more predictable, or, or whatever it is. And, and I don't think it's a dichotomy to say that the, old, the my way of playing is completely different to that, that I prefer games that invite a very immersive experience. Fiction first. Yeah. And, and that's why things like Iron Swarm for me are just Chef's Kiss, you know? But. Yeah, so because there's that massive scope for what you can enjoy in a system, and we're talking here, obviously, about the rubric, I guess, mm. and how it informs your play experience. Yeah, I think that's I think that's an absolutely fascinating topic, and it, and it makes for such a diverse relationship between the player and the rules. It
2: pleases me to hear that as a GM, you find the channel and and solo role playing thoughts useful. I've I get this comment on the channel a lot from GMs that don't play solo at all that tune into the channel. And I can, I definitely can see that. I think, now I'll say I've never been a GM. Everyone always says to me, like, I want to play in your games. It's like, <laughs> I've never actually been a GM except for like, you know, my kid So I don't think that really counts, but I mean, I suppose it counts in a it way. It
0: counts. But- <laughs> yeah.
2: I, I think that the process of stepping back and the, and the process of solo RPGing does cause you to think about the GM role in a, in a different way because you're, you're interacting with it, but you are it, but you're stepping outside of it. So I can really see that. I could see mm-hmm. how that would help in just, as I would call regular RPGing, or I like to think, I call it the tabletop RPGing, thinking that they're sitting around the table. But of course, when I'm playing by myself, I'm still at a table. So <laughs> there's no clear way of distinguishing the two.
0: Yeah, ab- absolutely. The thing I find myself thinking quite a lot when when I was first solo role playing was I was astounded at how much I could embellish as a player and it still work. You start to realize okay this is when I now need a restriction whereas when you're having somebody else do it for you you don't see behind the curtain, you know? You don't know how much of the world is already established in the pregame or how much of it was improvised you don't see behind the curtain. I think solo role-playing allows you to see behind the curtain a little bit, and for anybody who is a, uh, a GM and wants to really hone their craft, I think solo role-playing is a, is a fantastic tool for that. But going off the subject a little bit, um, we've spoken a little bit on this episode already about tips for first-time players, and the episode we brought up was about tips for first-time solo role-players. Scarlet Heroes is often touted as a very good game for a first-time solo role-player. I was wondering what what you th- thought of that, Deborah. Is is this a game you'd recommend to somebody who hasn't solo role-played before?
2: I think 100%. And it's probably, if I was going to say that you should make one purchase only, or you could make one purchase only to get into solo RPGing, I would say Scarlet Heroes. And perhaps some people out there would be saying like, well, why wouldn't you say Ironsworn, for example? And I could talk about that reason, but to stick to Scarlet Heroes for the moment, I think it's excellent. It is self-contained and you can get very far with just the one book. You will have rules for the small party focus for one hero playing and the heroic style of the rule set and the stats will allow you to have encounters where you're not immediately dying or you're not only able to encounter like a toad or something. So it's, it's balanced enough in that way. And if you take it one step further, you can also use other OSR material and adapt it. I mean, that's sort of one step outside of Scarlet Heroes to go beyond what it offers, but the random tables with the, the adventure hooks and the locations and, as we already mentioned, the urban and wilderness and dungeon options, all of that is excellent. The other thing that I want to just dip into for a minute in the Scarlet Heroes rules that I think is so important, because everybody always talks about the random tables, but the the way that the traits are and the way that the traits are assigned, they're very, it's very narrative-based. That you're just essentially embellishing your character and saying, you know, you have a number of points that you can assign to it that might vary a little bit by uh, race or class. But you are essentially saying, I want my character to be good at this thing. And that's it. You get your extra die for that or your extra dice for that. That is an example of something that really makes a rule set work for soloists, where the mechanic itself is tied to a narrative advancement or a narrative outcome. And so I would say to people, I mean, it's a little more in detail, but the, one of the real key reasons why I think Scarlet Heroes works in addition to all the random tables is that, that the actual mechanics of the game is supporting a story that you've already started to tell with your character before you even start your adventure. So for all of those reasons, I think it's excellent.
1: Yeah. I mean, it also inspires stories for if you're doing a quick character creation like I did today when I rolled up. So this is the you're talking about the traits, the traits, right, the character traits. So they can be anything. They can be you're a wandering mage, you're uh, easily overlooked, you're whatever, good at jumping, whatever it is. And and you can write that in there Uh, instead of in place of in your typical RP systems, you might have skills, right? One of them that I rolled randomly was, I was a secret agent for a merchant. That's one of my traits. (laughs) And I was like, huh. And I also rolled up that they were a fighter. So I was like, huh a fighter who's a secret agent well what's the, what would that be and i came up with this whole thing of that. well they've been tasked to escort this car- this caravan of other traders and they've been paid by a, a merchant to spy on their trade routes and stuff and that in, it inspired this whole sort of backstory for me off, off just one role just really quickly and easily so I, I couldn't agree more that the the traits and then being so i guess you'd say generative there yeah yep a fantastic
0: yeah, I think I think just me- if we're talking about how mechanics in Scarlet Heroes generate story or mm-hmm. gen or imply what's happening in the fiction. I think in that example it's very kind of I- I- explicit, you know, there are they are a secret agent in that, in, in that case um there's there's nothing implicit there, but one, one mechanic that I thought was relatively implicit and not immediately obviously trying to Generate story, but when you take a second to think about it, very much frames a particular experience is the fray die in combat. Mm. So for those of you who haven't played, the fray die represents sort of passing blows in a fight. It can be rolled against any enemy of your choice where their hit die is equal to or lesser than your level. Now the way for me that I I started seeing combat as a much more dynamic and interesting thing once i started thinking well okay so if i dealt one damage to this person from my fray die that was obviously a passing blow okay so what's happened here and you can start writing down i don't know if you guys played similarly but i started writing down you know very complex parries and blocks and hits and strikes in a way that i didn't immediately think i would when i read the rules that were you rolled to hit I thought, okay, it's going to be a very much I raise my sword and I do my one blow. But then when I read the Frey Dive rules and I started playing with that, it became a lot more exciting and it kind of, I don't know, it implies how you should be thinking about the fiction is more than just the one role. It's a series of, it's a real story that's unfolding in front of you. And I thought that was just, I don't know, it was subtle and nice. I like that a lot.
2: I agree. I think that I would describe it almost as it invites like a cinematic kind of, Thinking and approach to the combat because you know you're gonna roll this die and something good is likely to happen. So in your mind, you're thinking, like, well, what is my character doing? You know, or are they just filling themselves with some incredible, you know, and magical energy and smiting the foe or whatever? So I think that's a great point to make about that fray die. And it's also it's another example of how. A relatively straightforward and simple rule with just one D6, one roll, can really impact the whole unfolding of, in this case, combat. And of course, in the case of an RPG, the way the combat goes, it's it's going to flavor the entire adventure.
1: I'm so glad you used the word cinematic there. I think one of the major strengths for Scarlet Heroes, and it is totally linked to the Frey Dye here as well, it's like a really perfect encapsulation of it, is in its creating these really easy-to-grasp stories that feel really impactful, they feel very heroic, they feel very unexpected as well, and they feel very kind of easy to relay. I was talking to my partner about my adventure, my wilderness adventure, and being like, oh, so then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and the events that happen feel very... Dramatic and, like you say, cinematic, and rolling that fray die is a great example of it. That a mechanic that's also speeds up the minutia and the awkwardness of the of the combat. You know, having to deal with all the riffraff happens by the by with those dice rolls and happens as you're going to make the the threat sort of disappear a little bit, give your hero a bit more panache.
0: Yeah, I think it, Deborah, you were saying that one of the reasons it's, uh, it lends itself quite well to a solo gamers because your hero is capable and competent and can adventure on their own. And I think the frayed Eye really helps in that way that you get to do a little bit of extra damage compared to, to enemies. I do want to be slightly contrary, though, and say uh, I have mixed feelings about this as a first solo RPG, and I want to explain why. And Deborah, you'll probably tell me 17 different reasons why I'm wrong, and I'm excited to hear that. <laughs> but I, I think is it is a good... Game for a, uh, a first solo RPG for all the reasons you said already, Deborah. But I would say it is a good game for your first solo RPG if you are already experienced with RPGs. If you've played a bunch of DD, this is going to feel very natural to you. But one, one of the things we noticed is after we did our Iron Swan episode, we had a bunch of people on our Discord say that they've now tried solo role playing for the first time, but also their first game of Iron Storm was their first time playing any role-playing game. And do I think Scarlet Heroes would be helpful if this is your first ever role-playing game? I'm not too sure. One of my concerns is Scarlet Heroes won't always prompt you to... Ch- like, it's got all these fabulous tables, but it can leave you alone for a very long period of time. Like, in combat, if you are just rolling to hit, missing rolling to hit with the enemy, missing. Okay, my turn, I'll roll to hit. Oh, I miss again. There's no kind of, you miss and something happens. There's, it kind of lacks what, what Iron Swan has in the yeah, Iron Swan will yes and you. Uh, Scarlet Heroes will kind of yes. And I'm, I'm for someone who's used to playing the fiction first role-playing game, I was thinking, and <laughs> and nothing. And I was I was inserting the and because I know how I like to play, um, and I have that experience. But if you if you don't have that experience, you can be very much, you can end up just chucking a lot of dice, saying, "Okay, I rolled to hit, oh, I miss. Okay, the enemy rolls to hit, they miss." For me, that would trigger some kind of story. Why did they miss? Uh, are we quite equally matched in this fight? If we are, I'm a hero. Who's this guy? He must be important. I'll roll a, a random NPC table and I'll, and I'll get some information and this will generate some more story. But that was all coming from me. I was kind of making that own my own fun there. Scarlet Heroes wasn't inviting me to do so. And I feel mm. like if you didn't have that experience, I don't know, it might be, it could fall into being a little bit, I don't know, mundane maybe. Uh, what do you think about that? Is that? Am I way off for saying that?
2: I think well I, I definitely see your point about that and I obviously there's different perspectives. I the reason I always feel Ironsworn is not the thing that I would send people toward initially is because to me it's not as flexible in terms of the world. That for for me for Iron Sworn to really shine, you have to buy into the world of Ironsworn, which I love, but I feel that that is kind of far possibly far more removed for people if they haven't done anything like this at all. Now, I really wasn't thinking honestly about someone who had done no RPGing coming to this. So that's a fair point. I think that the, I can't remember now, of course, in Iron Swarm, what the tables are called, but that, that method that you're talking about of leading you somewhere. Yes, I see what you're saying. It is more steps along the way. But just to play the advocate for Scarlet Heroes on this point, One of the things that I think is so great about it is that if you're doing something in Scarlet Heroes and it kind of starts to stall. Now, you were using a particular combat example, which I'm not sure this would address, but if you're doing something that starts to stall, you can always go to the quick character generation random table there and do a D100 roll and like come up with somebody that shows up on the horizon who has like a relationship to you or a relationship to the past. It's like it's all there for you, dangling. And then you could, you know, knit that into your story. So for me, I think those types of supporting materials in Scarlet Hero are more self-evident than they are in Iron Sworn, just to kind of use those as a comparison. But I, I'd actually be interested to know whether you guys know of other rule sets that would be even better for a soloist starting out. Because the only thing that's coming to my mind is like Forbidden Lands has a lot of solo support although i think that's actually harder than scarlet heroes and i'm not i'm sort of struggling to think of ancient odysseys is some is one but that's almost more falls into the almost along the lines of like a choose your own adventure ish type thing or like a you know a tunnels and trolls solo adventure kind of thing it's not it's more mapped out.
1: Yeah, I mean, both of us are pretty new to solo RPS. We've we've really not played many systems. We're really, like like I say, Ironswan episode was our first ever foray into it, and so for us, it's uh, it's still finding our feet with it. And so I guess we're pretty spoiled because we've had <laughs> we've had both Irons One and uh, and Scarlet Heroes already, and we haven't really met one that's a particularly hard new player solo RP, I guess. So not having that framework and having our own specific prejudice going in, we're obviously going to be pretty biased. I I, I don't know. Uh, I think it does depend on what sort of player you are and whether you want to learn a system that relies on sort of conventions and standard RP practices, which I think Scarlet Hero does. Or if you want to learn what I would consider some really good habits for the way you can do creative thinking, which I think Iron Swan does really well. I don't know if that's fair to say.
2: I think that's very fair to say and I think that that highlights a difference between the two of them which is that as you say Scarlet Heroes is much more traditional in its approach and Iron Sworn is more radical in its approach Mm -hmm. and vis-a-vis the history of role-playing games. So I think either one of that, you know, probably one or the other of them is where many people would start and would be a great place to start. And it it might just depend on preference or background as to whether it is easier or harder. But that sort of gets back to my larger point about thinking of aspects of solo role-playing coming in as different types of resources that you use. Because focusing specifically on a rule set can then tie you to that rule set in such a way that it can be difficult if you know you don't resonate with it in some way.
1: Yes, and this, this really links to another point I want to bring up, which I think Scarlet Heroes is a lot freer on, I would say, and that is house ruling. And... You already brought up a a lovely example there of saying, well, you could have that character appear on the horizon. There are no rules for having a character appear, an ex machina happen within the rubric of Scarlet Heroes. And there are a lot of, I would say, glaring omissions there in terms of you can get in the situations Norm was talking about, where you're stuck in an infinite loop, rolling this dice, fighting this bear constantly over and over again. And then the ownership then shifts to you as the player to come up with an out, to invent a way to make this happen and to come up with a house rule. And I think Scarlet Heroes it only really works. I don't. I don't know how you could possibly play it without bringing in your own rules. I'll give a quick example if you guys will indulge me here. The Wilderness Adventures in Scarlet Heroes they do not have any rules that I could see for an objective for your character. You could just theoretically stumble from tile to tile to tile because every every sort of day you roll you move into a new tile roll the dice for encounters uh, events and features and then rinse repeat forever and ever and ever and you could end up just bumbling around the wilderness forever so i had to kind of invent my own story and when i did i encountered a bandit group that i wanted to seek justice for this big pile of bodies in a crevasse i found it was a very complicated little story but i realized i need to find this bandit camp now and so I had to ask the Oracle, okay, do I know which direction they went in? That was something I came up with myself within the framework of the system. But then building on top of that, I had to be like, okay, so now every tile I move to, I need to roll to see if the bandit camp is here, because otherwise I will be exploring every single tile around in a circle forever and <laughs> never find it potentially if I don't get the one feature role that is a camp, <laughs> if that makes sense. Uh, I hope that makes a bit of sense. But what I'm what, what I'm getting at there is that so within the framework of those rules, I had to invent my own system to account for my story. But I felt compelled to do so, which is something I wouldn't be able to potentially in Iron Swan. But, but maybe I did because I
0: didn't need to. <laughs> I think I'm right. Right. Yeah, it doesn't hold your hand. I suppose in, this, in the in the in the same way. And this isn't an episode where we're. Going to be comparing the two because I don't think it's fair on Scarlet yeah, Heroes. Sure. But yeah, I, I get that. Scruffy it doesn't doesn't really hold your hand. It kind of relies on you to be a good GM for yourself, which is actually one of the one of the reasons we wanted you on the show, Deborah, because obviously, you know that's something that you have much more experience with than, than we do. But yeah, I was wondering what 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 your response to that might be.
2: I think that it brings us to a conversation that's maybe underlying a lot of this, but we should make explicit, which is that at least from my perspective. Solo RPGing is not intended, nor should it try, to simulate what it would be like playing an RPG around the table with people. It just can't do that. And I think that people who try to have it do that or want it to do that are those that are going to be dissatisfied with it because it's just pretty much impossible. If you're lucky and if a session's going well, something will happen that is, I think, the hardest thing to have happen, which is something will happen that's funny. Not so much surprising because you can roll on a table and be like, oh, wow, I didn't know a witch was going to be there. But if something organically happens that's funny, that to me is like the height of solo RPGing and maybe could you know, mimic in some way an experience you might have around the table if something happens that's funny. But I think the concept that you're trying to cre- recreate what it's like to sit around the table with people just leads to disappointment. So that's one point I wanted to make. And I think as a solo GM, having that concept in your mind that it's not the same thing is important and will lead to much more satisfaction. I think if there is to be said a broad goal for solo RPGing, and this gets back to this a little bit conversation ago about that Frey die, when Scruffy, you were talking about the ideas of it was dramatic And that there was tension in it and um, that it was easy to be unexpected. I think what that boils down to is the concept of creating emotion or feeling an emotion that you have. Like when you were describing your session to your partner in the wilderness, like you you were having a feeling about it. And Mm. I think ultimately in maybe in any RPG, but to stick to the solo, which is what we're here to talk about. To the extent that any rule set, and I think Scarlet Heroes really invites this and supports it, allows you to create a story that has a feeling behind it or to take actions that have a feeling behind them, it is successful. And that's really the height of what you can achieve in solo RPGing. Like, yes, it's exciting to roll a die and, you know, strike a blow, but overall, if you have this feeling, in a story that you've created yourself, interacting with a rule set, interacting with game mechanics and the dice, that is what you're looking for.
1: I'd love to just pick your brains on that a little bit further. So when you say have a feeling, are you talking about the feeling that the story creates for you as the audience watching the story unfold? Or are you talking a more immersive feeling that you're feeling alongside the character? Or is it a mixture?
2: I think for solo RPGing, it's, it's kind of almost the same. I think that as the player, as the GM, as whoever you are interacting with a rule set, as long as you want to know what's going to happen next, you have, that's the feeling. The feeling is just, I want to know what's going to happen next. I'm not sure, and maybe I'll explore this, or maybe I'll do that, or I could do this, or I'm thinking five different possibilities now for my character. (laughs) That's what I'm talking about as the feeling, that you have organically generated a story using your imagination, supported by rule sets, supported by game mechanics, and it makes you wonder, and it creates a sense of wonder. And ultimately, creating a sense of wonder is what storytelling is about. And I think RPGing in general is about storytelling, at least for me, and you can achieve that very same thing, solo RPGing as you can with a good GM and invested players.
0: Yeah, I understand exactly what you're talking about. I can't think of how many times I've been like out walking my dog and as I'm walking, I'm thinking about what's going on in my character's world or, you know, are the scenes around me something that can inspire something in my story? What if my character saw a building that was similar to this? Would that look out of place in their world? And what would they think? Who would be who would be there? You know, things that aren't even related, but just it really does capture your imagination in ways that go beyond just the play session. And I think that's that's magic, really. You know, it's incredible.
2: I I totally agree, and I was in preparation for this podcast, looking back at some of my videos to remind myself when I started doing the solo RPG videos. And I was reminded on one of my videos that I that I did four years ago now on the James Bond assault game, which was really the first, first video I did in 2017 that did sort of solo RPGing. And I remembered that I kind of left it on a cliffhanger and just sort of seeing the, the thumbnail of that video, cause I don't typically go back and look at my own channel. I remember, oh, I really wanted to know, you know, what was going to happen? They landed a boat or something. I can't remember the details, but I remember. And that is, that's, that's incredible because that is creating, it's like, it's creating something that is in essence real. I mean, to the extent that one can argue that emotions are reality. And if you Mm. feel something, it's real. You have created something real out of, you know, pen, paper, dice, and your mind.
1: I couldn't agree more. I think the funny thing is as well, you mentioned that it can surprise you and it, it always does, doesn't it? You, you sit back and you, you go away from the PlayStation and think, I wonder what's going to happen next. And inevitably, you're always surprised. And I, I, I kind of, I, I wonder how anyone who hasn't experienced that can understand how that could be because you're making it all up. How could you possibly be surprised? Is the, uh, is the refrain I get sometimes from people who haven't played but you are i mean i've had i've had experiences in my game where i've, where I've gone back even to this and I, and I, I approach a new station expecting a certain half to be the road ahead and i might just get one odd roll on, on an oracle when i ask a, a silly question about something or i might uncover a different sort of tile than i expected and suddenly the context has changed completely i am in a new and different situation and i have to i have to come to some conclusions that i didn't expect and it's wonderfully right absolutely
0: and i think as well as being a sense of wonderment it also helps we in to answer your question scruffy i think it also helps with the immersion into your character because having these kind of generative you know tables that that scarlet heroes has and incorporates so well it helps you see the world through your character's eyes. When I first started solo role-playing, I was trying really hard to think about what's going to happen next. What's the big twist? What's going to... Who's behind the big conspiracy, you know? I'm the GM. Surely I should know that. But the more I've played, the more I realised, no, you're not supposed to know that. You're supposed mm. to know what your character knows, and you'll find out when you play and you get there. And that sounds if you've not played solo sort of role playing that must sound so foreign to how tabletop role playing uh, you know as a group uh, is because the because the gm does know who's behind the conspiracy the gm does have those you know plot hooks planned out and yeah so as soon as i learned that that you're not you're not supposed to know it has surprised me so much more and it has enhanced that sense of wonder and has increased my addiction to the hobby for sure
1: yeah and and it's when you ask those questions of things like so that just happened then. Okay, how does that make my character feel? That's when it suddenly goes at, at next level, doesn't it? And you go, oh yeah, that would feel X or Y. And and, and, and however that, that happens, it, that you're right, it invites a bit of immersion.
2: I feel that for solo RPGing, playing the emotion and not playing the mechanics is something that is helpful to think about. And what I mean by mm. that is just exactly this, what you were just saying, Scruffy, about What does my character feel? You know, not like, okay, should I be rolling this check now to see if I've, you know, jumped over this crevice or whatever, but really thinking about it more in terms of I'm in this landscape and, you know, this has just happened and my rations are low or whatever, you know, what would my character actually be feeling? So thinking about playing the emotion and not the mechanics really advances the story and it advances your narrative investment in the story.
1: Yes, I think having that, and this goes to what you were saying about restrictive elements in RP. I think you very much hit the nail on the head with that word and, and, and it, is, it is really important. Restrictive elements and especially being your own police in some ways is essential for immersion. I think you do need to remember your character is real and has their own will and motives and feelings and f- do things that make sense for them in the moment and you will you will have a better story.
0: One thing I wanted to to chat about, specific to Scarlet Heroes, is the setting. Because when I was reading through the sort of main mechanics of the game, I was sat there thinking, this all feels very familiar to, you know, old school role playing games. And it's very, it's very honest about that. It describes itself as a as an old school type of game. I was really surprised that when I got to the chapter, The World of the Red Tide, that the game setting is actually, I think, quite unique and quite well thought out. I don't know what your thoughts of that are, Deborah, but it took me by surprise.
2: That's true. And I think that's something that would take people by surprise because they might make assumptions. It took me by surprise, frankly, the first time I opened it too, just making assumptions that it would be a kind of, familiar, generic, you know, European, medieval, whatever, d d kind of thing. And it's not. It is a, the Red Tide is a vaguely, I would say it's sort of a vaguely Asian horror type of setting where there are people that have ended up on this island with the native Shu people or not people, but clan, I guess. And they are fighting off this encroaching red mist and I think if you look in the included monster manual, which comes in the main book, you can see in reading through some of the monsters that are in there that those fit that type of setting. And I'll have to say, you know, some of them are a little gruesome, frankly, mm-hmm. and they are, I guess, mythologically accurate to the red tide setting. But there are some things that are kind of gruesome. And there are some things that are somewhat familiar, like a hungry ghost or something like that. There's a, like a witch. But there are many, there's an ogre. There are many things that are perhaps unfamiliar. And I think for somebody looking to populate their story with something more familiar from D&D, they would have to go outside of Scarlet Heroes for that. I find that the tables, some of them are very related to that setting. So you might, if you wanted to be outside of the Red Tide setting and rolled on some of the adventure hook, you might have to modify that a little bit to fit something else. I think when I play Scarlet Heroes, as I've done a bunch of times, I really don't embrace the setting too much. I just don't uh, for whatever reason. And I think it's very possible to play the game not doing that. If you want to embrace it, there's another rule set, or not rule set, but um, fleshed out more the Red Tide campaign setting that Kevin Crawford wrote prior to Scarlet Heroes, I believe that you could purchase also. That's I think that was key to Labyrinth Lord. But there's so there's more, even more material if you want that. If you want to go further into that,
1: yeah, I think whilst uh, whilst you bring up uh, the the tables in there, so some of their limitations, I did notice there was, a, I don't know if I was just really unlucky in finding the one missing table, but there was one table that didn't exist. Uh, I don't know if there are, there are any others where there are sort of a few oversights like that, but I was really excited to move into a swamp tower for the first time to told me to roll for an encounter at the swamp. There isn't a table for that. There's a a table for jungles and hills and (laughs) plains and all all the other mountains, whatever. But there wasn't one for swamp. And that was a bit of a a disappointment. But then it was immediately uh, kind of fixed for me within the system. And I I was kind of pulled the other way by the eventual monster I did encounter. I just ended up rolling on all of them for fun. Pull it it out of anywhere. And I got a tin with a H, T-I-N-H, which is a wandering spirit that has that used to be a human or animal, but has lived for so long, it's now become intelligent. And the great thing about it was it didn't tell me what it was. It just said it can sometimes rarely be a human. Other times it can be an animal that's just lived for for however long and has become an embodiment of an aspect of that animal. So as a player, I was sat there like, okay, so now I need to roll, don't I? So it's unlikely to be a human. Oracle that? okay, it wasn't a human. So now (laughs) what animal was it? Well, what animals live in Swamp? Ended up being an otter, great. And then I had to find out whether it was hostile or not because it could have been a friendly otter spirit. Turned out it was a very violent otter spirit. Its initial reaction to me was violent. And so I thought to myself, okay, so what does it want? It wants to, what, what do otters want to do? It wants to mug me for stuff. It wants to take all my, my stuff, right? And uh, this whole scene played out from that. And uh, I ended up nearly dying twice to this terrifying little otter spirit. That's amazing. I, it was that's... a great a great story. Beat. This is what I mean about the story beats that can come. And I think that really did come a lot from the scope of flexibility that that table and then that creature offered you and hopefully obviously i've only seen a, a microcosm of the game really i haven't explored it in too much depth but hopefully the other monsters are just as flexible in that way
0: and you you said a, a couple of times during this uh, during this episode about how sometimes you'll have to go outside of scarlet heroes to to get some answers and brings up a really interesting point i think what well, if you've not played a solo role-playing game before one thing to say is one of my favorite things about acquiring new solo role-playing games is that i am very much finding that the more solo role-playing games i purchased the more tools i have for my toolbox Mm. and you can bring things in from other games in ways that you can't do with things like like board gaming for example i can't i can't get my you know unit deck from mage knight and go this is going to work perfectly in spirit island you know that, <laughs> that doesn't happen <laughs> but but when you open scarlet heroes and you think oh this is a very interesting table i wonder how this would work in like i to carry on the examples we we're using from earlier my question uh, to you deborah is what do you most commonly use from scarlet heroes in other games and on the other side of that coin what do you bring in to Scarlet Heroes the most often? What's a good resource to have when playing Scarlet Heroes, I suppose, is my question.
2: That's a great question. I think in terms of what I use from Scarlet Heroes in other games, I on my channel, you'll see that I pull out what I call my solo RPG wallet. And that's where I keep a bunch of Oracle tables. And I have some from Iron Sworn. But I, probably the one I go to the most is the basic oracle from Scarlet Heroes. So I use that throughout my gameplay for other things, including the how far away is a thing table, which mm-hmm. is for both things in the same place and for distant things. That's very useful. It's very simple, but it's extremely useful. So I use the basic general oracles for Scarlet Heroes throughout anything that I would play. And it's, as I said, probably one of the most reached for things in my solo RPG wallet aside from my general percentile table, which is uh, very, very basic and simply numeric in terms of bringing things into Scarlet heroes. I mean, that's a, uh, that's a whole, that's a whole podcast because <laughs> there are just so many resources um, that one could use. I think for generic fantasy play for somebody say starting out who doesn't want to have to go buy a million things and doesn't already own a whole bunch of games, The Tome of Adventure Design, which it says it's for Keyed for Swords and Wizardry and Pathfinder, but it's really not. It's a massive volume that is by uh, Matt Finch, and it is 280 plus pages of random tables for pretty much anything you could want. There are for wilderness adventures, underwater, cities, castles, ruins, there's dungeon design, there's obviously monsters and... Uh, magic items and things. All of that, it's extremely comprehensive. And this too features in a bunch of my videos and, and other many other people's videos, I'm sure. That's probably one-stop shopping for me for random tables to, to generate details or things of that nature. Beyond that, I would say for Scarlet Heroes in particular, I mentioned super briefly that you could go outside of it for monsters like OSR-statted monsters, any type of OSR resource. And I think in my Scarlet Heroes video, I used the Gardens of Yin, which is a small independently published by Emmy Allen, great, great RPG supplement. That is something that fit in perfectly to my video that I did on Scarlet Heroes. And I think anything like that could work here.
1: Yeah, so obviously we're both listening to that really, uh, really eagerly. Being so new to our, <laughs> our solo adventure uh, and solo was and we don't have the resources, the library yet, and we don't have our little wallets. Your little wallet looks absolutely awesome. Anyone who's seen your videos will know uh, it's uh, it's fantastic. I think. Do you do a video explaining everything that's in there? I did I
2: finally do my solo RPG wallet revealed. Yes, <laughs> there yes. Is
1: that video. I saw. I don't think I watched it, but I saw it and I flagged that one as one to watch later because I need to know. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, by
2: request. I had- and thought about it, but I was like, oh, that's actually a really great idea had so easy to do.
0: Perfect. Yeah. That's so cool. So sticking with, you know, specifically Scarlet Heroes, one thing I think it's very, very good at is setting up the scenarios and the parameters around your adventure. It gives you so much grist for the mill, gives you so much to Sort of start at the beginning of your adventure, and one thing I really like about it, especially I played the urban i didn't i didn't i'll be honest i didn 't play the wilderness or dungeon, so i 'm relying on YouTube more for those ones but what I really liked about the urban setting is it also gives you a a goal a very i thought quite achievable goal for a scenario, mm. and I thought that the the space that this can exist in my solo collection is For one shot experiences, it's very hard to one shot. Like a one shot is something that is normally in in a shared experience over a tabletop, you know, with a group, something that's been meticulously crafted with particular plot points by a GM. It's much less improvised normally. There's, you know, planned out puzzles and obstacles for you to overcome. I couldn't really imagine how a one shot could work on a sort of solo basis. This game does so well at at that type of play. We already mentioned a quick character creation. It's very easy to just, as we've already established, roll up a character, roll up your adventure and your goal in that adventure and have that done in an hour or two. Mm. And that is, I think, something I didn't even know I needed in my repertoire. But now that I have it, I'm very grateful. And that's something that I could... A hard recommend for Scarlet Heroes if that's the type of play that you want. I mentioned that the leveling up system, and like especially in, a, in an urban play, will kind of make you want to come back and, and play as a campaign, but you absolutely don't need to. And I think, Deborah, you said that you, the way you play uh, solo RPs is you tend not to play as a, as a campaign. Is that, is that right? That's
2: correct, both for timing and for, you know, timing in terms of how much time I have to play and also just interest level. And I think you raise a really great point about Scarlet Heroes because it absolutely offers that. And in my work on solo RPGs, my videos and some writing I've done, I talk about in terms of part of the solo GM mindset, not to forget the G in RPG, which is to say the game part of it. And The concept, and this is where I think solo RPGing does differ a lot from people around the table, because using game conventions, and in this case, we're talking about a game convention where there's like a beginning and an end to the game to the session, using game conventions can really help the soloist. It can provide a kind of structure that's not hard to manage, that's easy to understand, and that will advance a narrative. So in this particular case, you're following a structure of a story and you're having it advance through and you have a particular goal. And there's nothing wrong with that. This true could be the case for one-offs around the table, but I think even more importantly for the soloist to embrace that is is helpful particularly if you're perhaps new to solo RPGing, because the sort of second most question that people ask me not after is like well what do i do once i made my characters like how do i know this is over (laughs) you know like, (laughs) do i just stop
0: yeah no absolutely it's 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 a it's a thing that i also struggled with as much as i was enjoying the process of seeing where the story goes like when i first started solo role-playing i couldn't imagine an end and i think yeah, the the more the more you play, the more you kind of think. Oh, actually, it's it's fine. It's fine to think of this is my character's overall goal. Be that for this session because I'm want to do a one shot, or for the campaign, this is their life goal or their um overall goal goal over multiple sessions. And the more you think about that before you start playing, I think the more successful a session you're going to have. And I think Scarlet Heroes frames that in a really really good way in my opinion i don't know what you think about scruffy
1: i think it can be kind of scary to commit to an end point it can feel like but if it ends then it's over and that's it but it is really exciting to reach an end of an adventure and for that reason i i'm really glad that i looked at the urban adventure side of scarlet heroes which does have you know, you, you're trying to get ten victory points in the game for one of another word uh, before your opponent does. Depending on the scenes that you encounter, different things will happen. And you know, the opponent winning doesn't mean you you die, your character. It might potentially in your story, but it just means the story has a bad ending. And then you can start another story after that if you want to, or that can just be the story. I think that's a really nice framework to have. Uh, I think the wilderness adventure, like I've already hinted at for in this episode, is a lot more open-ended. I kind of see it almost as a connection between urban adventures. I think that might even be its intended use in the system, that you start an urban adventure in one place, go on the wilderness adventure, do another urban adventure, or even a dungeon adventure somewhere else. Uh, You'll have to tell us about how structured the dungeon adventures are, Deborah, because neither of us have tried that. Does that have a, a kind of end point to those like does the, is it a typical knock down the door get the dragon's horde
2: on the dungeon side you know you're looking for it's pretty pretty standard dungeon delving you know you want to find the treasures <laughs> you want to get yeah. as much good stuff as you can get so i think the advantage to having a you know the dungeon crawl trope if you think about it is is there is present um is omnipresent really in RPGing across the board for a reason. It offers it's a constrained space. It has potential for any type of inhabitants. It has the advantages of any type of treasure. You know, it's it combines something that's both constrained and also limitless. And I think that that mixture provides a great tension for telling these types of stories in traditional RPGs. And Scarlet Heroes really picks that up, um, but narrows it to the scope of. One player or one player and one GM.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And what's what's interesting is I think it's a part of framing thing as well. I I can see diving into a dungeon and getting to the end of the dungeon. I can see that story concluding because it's so time honored and uh, it doesn't feel like the end of my character's arc. But I, I can never come to the end of mini narratives within games. So it's it, the thing about the urban adventure is it's really nice to encourage that and and, and kind of take players like me out of my comfort zone and say, this story's going to have an end. This little conflict with this merchant or whatever isn't going to go on forever and be your character's entire life. They can then, once that's come to an end, you can stop and feel satisfied or you can start another story having completed that story beat in their life and just be a new
0: part of their background for the character going forward. And as I said, I think that's one of my my biggest selling points for Scarlet Heroes is the way it frames those endings. It's very neat and I think more role-playing games should encourage you know what what is it you're working towards and let's let's wrap this up because an ending is satisfying you know and so many people have that taken away from them because their stories never end in in role-playing games um Mm -hmm. and that's that's fine as well but uh yeah it's it's definitely it's definitely more satisfying when when you get when you do get an ending
2: i think you know one thing about this concept of stories not ending is if we think about like the, you know, the 1970s and when RPGs really began, I think the expectations and of people, of players are just were different then. And first of all, they had no expectations, but the, the nature of what was exciting was sort kind of going on and on and on. And the fact of the matter is that I think people who are playing, many people who are playing now are, if they're younger, are just raised with different expectations, are our, our expectations of narrative in, in books and movies and 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 you know, YouTube, it's just, it's different. So I think that's why maybe having things that have more of an ending could potentially be appealing, you know, as the hobby ages and as the hobby changes and goes through more decades. I don't know. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how that gameplay around the table evolves I mean I don't know how you would know that in a broad scale but
0: you mentioned ever that the it's different solo role playing is different to being around the table and this is one of the differences the joy of of meeting up with the same group every week or every couple of weeks or whatever it is a half of that joy is meeting with those people so having an end to the story is also implies an end to that social gathering an end to seeing those particular friends on such a regular basis, which is a sad thing. The goal of solo role-playing as we keep mentioning is to tell a story and great stories have ends. And that's why I think Scarlet Heroes works so well as a solo game. Okay. So I think that's pretty much all I wanted to say regarding Scarlet Heroes and solo role-playing for, for now. I think we could, Chat about this for the rest of the day, if I'm honest. But before we move on to listener questions, at this point, you have such a great channel. I would be a shame if you weren't allowed to, to 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 plug what what you have going on at the moment, Deborah. So uh, have have this as a platform to tell everyone about the wonderful things you've got going on at the moment.
2: Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm not great at self promotion, but I will encourage anyone who is interested in this discussion to tune into and subscribe to. Geek Gamers, which is my YouTube channel, and on that channel, I do both examples and demos of various rule sets, and I also have videos that talk about larger issues related to solo role playing, like how do you develop a theme, and how do you create a story, and what, how do you deal with NPCs or random tables, things of that nature. I'm also almost done writing a book about solo RPGing and I can't share a ton of information about it yet, but it's going to be available at some point. And in that book, it's also discussing some of the things we've talked about here in terms of how to develop a story and keep it going and how to inhabit the mindsets of a solo GM. Of course, it has some tables in it. Of course, it does things like give you things to roll on. It also has some worksheets about how to create narrative that's not going to die on the vine. So I'm looking forward to sharing that with the hobby um, in the near future.
1: That's awesome. So links to the Geek Gamers YouTube channel in the description. Definitely, definitely check it out. It's where I found resources to help me get started. And I don't know if I would be solo RPing but for... Deborah's awesome work. You'll have to let us know when the book becomes available so we can send links in our Discord, Deborah, and, and uh, I'll be very interested in maybe picking up a copy for myself, for sure. Oh,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. Very exciting.
2: Well, thank you both very much. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you about Scarlet Heroes and solo RPGing. It was it was really great.
1: You've been absolutely awesome, Deborah, and thank you for bringing in so much insight and discussion
0: points on Scarlet Heroes and solo RPing in general. It's been an absolute treat. Thank you so much. Okay, well, again, thanks so much for Deborah for joining us. Um, We're now at the point in the episode where we'd like to review the responses we got from the prior episode and also ask you a new question for this episode. Scruffy, what's the question for today's episode? So, the question for this episode is
1: How do you prefer to solo RP? Do you prefer to write things down, à la norm? Do you prefer to talk things out in the same way Deborah does? Or do you kind of take a mixed approach? Do you just sit and imagine things? Does it depend on what system you're playing? What form does your solo RP take? So let's have a look at responses to last episode's question. So last episode we asked, how important is a good story in a game for you? How much can a good story make up for less enjoyable mechanisms and other aspects for that game? So, we have a response here from Stop Somewhere Eric who says, What is funny here is that I have a complicated relationship where I love deep stories, thus my love for solo RPGs as a concept, but haven't really actually found any board games that have fully fledged out stories. I think it has to do with my limits on time to play board games and wanting lighter experiences when I'm relaxing. Thus, I love games like Palmland, viticulture, or Coffee Roaster that are lighter and have beautiful mechanics or components but are light on or have no story. My heaviest game, Spirit Island, also has great theme and some great mechanics, but doesn't play out as much as a story as it does a puzzle. I think as I get more comfortable with solo board games and more complex games in general, that will open me up to games that have much deeper stories to them. I'm thinking Mage Knight or Sleeping Gods. Yeah, really, really good point there. That There's something about the... Investment in setting up, and the effort it takes to set up a game that has an intensely story-driven narrative. Have you ever found that, Norm?
0: Yeah, I guess it depends on the type of narrative. If it's story-driven, pre-written narrative, they can be that can be as simple as a, a, a deck of cards, like in Arkham Horror, the card game, for example, that has uh, a, a decent chunk of of you know pre-written narrative. You know, Aeon's End Legacy was another one where I wouldn't describe that as a heavy game, but it has those narrative beats. It's obviously a step above Coffee Roaster and Palm Island, Mm. but it firmly fits in that kind of midway 40-minute game, unlike Mage Knight, for example. Those kind of emergent narrative games, the the stronger the emergent narrative is in, in the game, I tend to find, and you can correct me if you think any different, the longer the playtime has to kind of be. You can tell a very quick story in something like Marvel Champions with, with one hero against one villain, but it's not going to have as rich tapestry of ups and downs and offshoots as something like Civitas, for example. And I think a lot of that has to do with the time it takes to, uh, to play and also the, the elegance of the, of the mechanisms as well. It tends to be the more elegant the mechanics the less of an emergent narrative you're going to have. That's obviously completely different in solo role-playing games where something as elegant as flipping over a card in The Wretched can spawn lots and lots and lots of emergent narrative. But uh, yeah, I'm kind of rambling here. Does that, any of that make sense to you, Scruffy? It's a really interesting topic
1: to bring up, the elegance being tied to story mechanics and having kind of, in a board game, you need sometimes multiple steps or multiple actions for you to take as a player to perform in order to have a story come about. In some games, I think, to be honest, the more I've experienced games, and I used to be really excited about these sort of games, like Above and Below and stuff, but the more, and uh, Tales of Arabia, but the more I, I, I play, especially solo RPs, and... The more I play games with emergent narratives, where the something like the roll of a dice can give you a massive story beat, the less I like the games that invite you to put in a lot of effort into creating your story it, through cumbersome mechanics, if that makes sense, like in Above and Below or in Tales of Arabia, having to actually read a story from a playbook. That's I don't think that's for me. You know, I think I think that's too much energy to put in something that's too kind of on the nose. And I much prefer those stories that come from the exciting moments that we've talked about before in other episodes where you interpret a, a narrative even if it's not spelled out for you. I'm even thinking of Arkham Horror or other living card games, for example, Lord of the Rings, or you could even take it further and go to any sort of legacy game that have specific context narratives written out I tend to get a bit put off by that in games and prefer to kind of make my own stories, involve my own narrative drive and allow the specific journey to be something I have a hand in. And maybe that goes with my new kind of zeal for solo RPGs and just wanting my board games to become solo RPGs. I don't know. (laughs)
0: What do you think of that? I think it's interesting. If I had to answer the very question we asked, how important is storytelling for me in board games? I would say almost not at all, actually, Mm. because there are other mediums for storytelling films, television, books, RPGs. That when I'm playing, you know, a game like Mage Knight, what is enticing to me is the puzzle. Now, the fact that it has a cool emergent narrative is a bonus. It is a very cool bonus, but it's not why I get the game back to the table again and again and again I don't think what's going to happen to Arafia next I think am I going to win or lose how do I optimize my my puzzle and it's just a different hobby now do I like it when games manage to incorporate an awesome emergent narrative of course I do of course I do but it's uh it's not it's not important i think it depends on on what kind of player you are some people really really need the theme to allow you to impose your own emergent narrative on them i think you're in that camp scruffy for me not so much but when it does happen i'm always impressed so i guess i would say it's a bonus if if the game does that but if all the game is is an optimization puzzle that's fine as well because there's room in the hobby for both. Right, yeah. I think,
1: I think going back to the question, I think it, it does make up for sometimes when there is a, a difficult narrative that would be problematic. But I, uh, but I think it's important to distinguish between games that feed you story and games that allow you to create a story. So for me, I much prefer games that give you the tools with which to invent your own story. And I think that that Type of story in a game allows me to overlook other mechanics that I might otherwise in in a game that doesn't give you that tool, or or, or maybe even to some extent railroads the player with a established story. I think I'm, I'm much more critical of those games because. I'm not able to enjoy them on a different level. I'm not able to take those awkward moments of of mechanical dissatisfaction and turn them into something fun and positive for me in a different way.
0: Yeah, well, that was a great response. So thank you so much for that stop somewhere, Eric. We really, really appreciate it. Okay, so Rob, the game guy, provides the next response and they say, story is necessary to me for all gaming, not just solo gaming, but maybe not, in the way you'd first think. A story doesn't need to be explicitly written to be a story, such as a campaign game. I'm a huge fan of emergent story, which writes itself as a result of the way the game flows in order to see emergent story. You have to have a trained eye and be looking for it. In this way, you could expect more fun from games that may otherwise not be storytelling games, in my opinion. This is also why I am a fan of randomness in games. Case in point, recently I was playtesting a game of a designer and there was a simple story that emerged from just two cards. One card was called Inheritance and the next card was called Trading Roots. These cards I was able to play in unison for a combo or a bonus. I could have just played the combo, taken the bonus and moved on. But I commented with a smile, "Hmm." So I inherited the trade routes. This makes me think that my father must have been a master trader and taught me the ways of trading, and my inheritance involved contacts and supply lines that gave me an edge against the competition. In this way, just a small moment with two cards began to create a bit of a story in my head. So story is always necessary. A story is easy to find if you're looking for it. I think that's a lovely example. And I think, although it sounds contrary to what I just said about story not being necessary for me, there's a lot that I agree with there. You know, looking out for those moments is nice and it's cool when that happens. And it is nice, like I said, it is a bonus when a game tells a story. But in that example, I don't think, you know, the, the story that Rob made up there with the, the trading route and the inheritance, that wouldn't make up for, for me if i didn't if i didn't enjoy other aspects of the game or if the the bonus that he was trying to get wasn't a puzzle that was engaging enough for me to want to figure out if that makes sense that would be a cool bonus but if the puzzle that he's trying to f- fix and and work on by playing those two cards wasn't engaging enough for me that wouldn't make up for for that it wouldn't compensate i wouldn't go well you know i'm not very engaged with what i'm doing in order to win but at least I inherited a trade route and contacts. Like, I, I wouldn't care enough. Does that make sense, Scruffy?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think it's a, an example. I mean, it, it hits exactly what Rob says, hits exactly to what I was just saying, which is wonderful. That, you know, it's, it's that sort of emergent story that is the most fun for me. I think in that example, that story It's a simple example of a concept that I think can have some real legs and really grow and and become something fascinating especially in a solo board game experience for me i think in a multiplayer board game experience you're not as free other people are affecting the game state and playing it in different ways they're not playing it right and so you 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 aren't necessarily as free to embellish but in a solo game i think even a, a really really mediocre experience can be elevated if you are given the freedom to explore and be creative and to some extent, you could do that with anything you could say, you know, any game, you could just flip over cards and make up a story, you know, any any words can be stories, if you've got a good narrative drive. But I think that there are degrees with that. And some games do it better than others. Moving on from that, one last thing I'd like to bring up here before we end the episode is we've talked about story there in terms of the game, narrative within the game. And uh, we haven't really talked about story in terms of And I guess this is because we we mainly focus on solo board games here, but the story moments that come out of a game. The moments where you get to say, I did it, I beat a level seven and 10 city in Mage Knight. That's a story moment. You see it a lot more in multiplayer games. We mentioned it in our last Mage Knight episode where your one paladin takes on nine men that have strategically come along there. Those moments happen a lot in multiplayer games and will be talked about within your gaming circle for ages. In a solo game, Uh, they are a bit rarer and a bit more personal and a bit harder to kind of convey the significance of, I think. But I think that there is definitely a case for those stories, which we should probably unpack in a future episode.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we're talking about, yeah, you're absolutely right. The context in which we framed that question was stories that come out of the narrative, but you're absolutely right, Scruffy. There is the other thing, which is just the story of how the game was played and what happened. And it doesn't have to be the narrative of the game. It can be just the narrative of your experience. Some of my favorite stories about games are, I did this and I scored five points in one turn. That's incredible. Or I was last in Twilight Imperium and I jumped to be the first 10 points in one round. That's not like, or it's not necessarily a narrative story, but it's still a cool story. Uh, so I think that's a very good point, and yeah, I don't know, I don't know how we'd talk about that in a future episode, but it's definitely, definitely something that I would like to unpack more. Yeah, and uh, feel free to weigh in with that in the Discord if you have any thoughts on <laughs>
1: that side of things as well, guys. So just to reiterate the question for this episode, it is.
0: How do you prefer to play solo RPGs? Thank you. Yes, excellent. And if you'd like to respond, you can do so in multiple ways. You can jump on our Discord. We have a channel called Listener Questions. Just pop your response in there and we'll read it out our next episode. You can join the Discord by clicking the link in the description. It's free. You can also email us. we are alwaysplayeronepodcast alwaysplayer1podcast at gmail.com. You can also message us on Facebook or Instagram. Our Facebook link is in the description, and we're on Instagram as at Player one podcast we also hang out on the solo board gaming subreddit. Our username is always underscore player underscore one, as well as reaching out on all those means. You can also support the show. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so in multiple ways. You can support us on Patreon with patreon.com forward slash always player one podcast. If you support the patron, you'll get access to our bonus episodes, the planning phase. This is where we discuss what we're going to be covering next and oftentimes decide on air what we're going to be doing in the next episode. And we got a lot of episodes planned out. So if you're uh, if you're not on there then you are you are somewhat missing out. You can also, if you don't want the permanence of of a patron subscription, you can just buy us a cup of coffee. It's uh, coffee, which is ko-fi.com forward slash always player one if you follow that link or, uh, or type that away you can buy us a cup of coffee it's greatly appreciated another way you can support the show is just tell someone about us talk about us online tell a friend we love it when you talk about us it helps the show to no avail that's pretty much everything for this episode big thanks to deborah for joining us big thanks to you guys for listening and big thanks to scruffy for being you uh, cheers, Aww. buddy. <laughs> You're nicer than Sock Norm. <laughs> I'll catch you guys in two weeks. Thanks a lot. Yep, thank you guys for listening. You're awesome. Have a great Thanks day. for listening. If you'd like to support the show, don't forget to check out our Patreon page. The links to that are in the description. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode of Always Player One. Until then, reach out on Facebook, Instagram, or by email to keep the conversation going.